Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back, everyone. I am excited to introduce you. If you don't know who the mayor of Minneapolis is, Believe me, he is the mayor of uh, a mayor that I have grown fond of. I voted for him. I'm proud to say that, although um, no one is perfect. I know uh, when I, whenever I decide to run for office, I know that I won't be perfect no matter what that position is. And so when we judge our leaders, sometimes I get it. I really do get it. But please understand that we have to know that no one is perfect. And so I'm going to talk to our own Mayor Jacob Fry right now. I'm excited about it. Um, Our look at the mayor's race in Minneapolis continues. Last week we heard from A.J. Awed and Kate Knuth. Uh, This week we will hear from Sheila Nazad and current mayor of Minneapolis, as I just said, Jacob Fry. All right, sir, how are you? Geraldine, I am doing all right. Thank you for having me, and I think you're selling yourself short. You would be a perfect elected official, so let me kind of get on the, on the endorsing bandwagon here right from the get-go. <laughs> thank you, sir, but I am absolutely terrified, but uh, thank you very much. I am going to do it in the next four to five years for sure. Now, we have a lot to talk about in this half hour, and um, when I, I just finished talking about rank voting, you know, I, that choice voting thing is, is – um, concerning to me because sometimes you'll put down that number one person and no one else and you may lose that person right um and so i i wonder how you feel about it are you excited about the election being ranked choice voting this year well this has been a format for elections that, that i've run in basically every single time uh and it is one that allows you to vote for somebody that you don't think has any chance of winning, but you still get to vote for them. And then if that person uh, does not rise to the top, then, well, it moves down to your second choice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly used to it at this point. It's kind of what I know. Um, but you know, I, I certainly understand the concern as well. Um, uh, but, you know, RCV, ranked choice voting anyway, is something we've had in Minneapolis, I think, going back to uh, 2009 or so. So quite some time now. A decade um, for sure. A decade. Yeah. Um, you know, I here we have so much going on, uh, specifically when it comes to the questions on the ballot this year. I don't even know if people are playing, paying close attention to the candidates as much as they are to the questions. I think this is the first time I've seen this interest in those questions. Can you tell me about how it has affected you? You know it's three questions on there. A lot of people are wondering where does the mayor stand, but you've made it very clear where you stand on those. Tell us more about that. 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, the questions certainly one and two have garnered a whole lot of attention, especially question number two. And so mm-hmm. I'll kind of go through at least the first two here for you. So okay. uh, question number one would make Minneapolis a system where you have clarity of who's in charge. It would make the mayor a clear executive that controls day-to-day functions. It would make the city council the clear legislative authority. They pass laws, they deliberate, they talk to experts, they do constituent services, and there's clarity. By the way, if this were to pass, this would bring us into line with most every other mid- and large city throughout the country. New York, Chicago, St. Paul, Duluth all have clarity of their structure of governance. We do not right now. And so I'm certainly a yes on question number one. I think it's really important, perhaps the most important thing on the ballot altogether. Uh, question number two, I'm opposed to. But importantly, there are big parts of it that I'm for. You know, we're all for a comprehensive strategy for public safety. We're all for safety beyond policing because not every 911 call requires response from an officer with a gun. You could have a mental health responder or a social worker pairing a unique skill set with the unique circumstances that happen on the ground. Now, here's the important thing. You don't need a charter amendment in order to do those things. We can already do them now. In fact, I just invested a million dollars, another million dollars in in our budget to roll out this mental health response program. So we're doing it regardless of whether the charter amendment passes or not. Now, the reason I'm against question two is that it would have the head person of this new department report to 14 different people. 13 council members and the mayor, when everybody's in charge, nobody's in charge. And it's just not a good system to get clear direction because you'll have one council member from Ward 1 telling you to do one thing, another from Ward 12, 13, or 9 telling you to do something else. That's not good for for accountability or safety. I think for me, sir, I grew up in Gary, Indiana during a time when it was uh, a beaming um um, force to reckon with. I mean, just incredible city that was growing under the guise of one industry, right? Um, yep. Which was steel, um, the steel mills. <clears throat> and unfortunately, um, we initially we had the police officers living in the neighborhoods where they policed. Um, why isn't that happening here? Why isn't that part of this whole question? I think that that would help so much if the police lived in the neighborhoods that they police. Geraldine, yeah, you are right. You are right. You know, I am a, I'm a big believer in having officers with deep connections to the communities that they are charged with protecting and serving. Now, you can do that through residency, where you literally live in the neighborhood. You could do that if they attend church or mosque or synagogue in the neighborhood. That, that's additional connections there. Or even if you volunteer at a food shelf or a homeless shelter. Now, we are able to kind of incentivize that they have those deep connections when we hire officers. We aren't allowed to require it because there's a state law that prohibits us from requiring that officers live in the city itself. Um, And, you know, I I think one of the big things that that we're going to start realizing nationwide, I'll bet cities around the country are going to start seeing this, is that officers need to get paid more and fired more. They need to get paid more so that you can incentivize the, the best possible, most talented people to to want to do this very hard job. Um, and they should get fired if they don't live up to the expectations and the values that we've instilled and we've said that we are demanding. Um, I think that's a dynamic you want, you're probably going to see nationwide here. 
Mm-hmm. Well, this question has divided um, the city of Minneapolis in the sense that North Minneapolis is one really loud voice about this. Um, and there are other loud voices around the state, but a lot of them are not um, – they're, they're not communities with a lot of diversity. And so you've got this really one loud uh, like South Minneapolis and others that are really screaming at the top of their voice because they can, right? We all can. Um, but it seems like it's all about North Minneapolis. This is what I worry about, that it's not, this is not just about North Minneapolis. It's about Minneapolis, you know, and policing in Minneapolis. What can you do? I mean, what do you see should happen if you were to become or remain mayor of Minneapolis? And how are you going to try to bring this division back together again? Well, this election needs to mark a turning point. It needs to mark a turning point where we put aside the politics We put aside the catchphrases and the slogans, and we get serious about the work. And by the way, that is regardless of whether this thing passes or it doesn't. Um, This is an opportunity for us all to come together uh, and to make sure that that very, very important concrete steps that are necessary for accountability and safety in our city are addressed. And by the way, you know, you kind of mentioned this about how you're you're hearing different stuff depending on which community or group of people you're talking to. We need to really listen to our black community, you know, and, and, and that doesn't mean let's assuming what they want. That means actually listening to them. Um, and that's, uh, I think, something that has been missed a whole lot of the time. And I think that also reflects how, why we have such strong support in areas like North Minneapolis. Um, that's one of our strongest areas in the city right now. It's because, you know, look, we've been talking to people. We've been hearing from them. You know, you talk to, you know, not not the person that's the loudest in the room or the loudest on social media, but you talk to the person at the bus stop. Hey, how you doing? What can we do in your neighborhood to improve things? You talk to the mom um, that is concerned about her, the safety of, of her children or, or sending her kid out to jump on a trampoline. Hey, what can we do to help you? Those are things and conversations that I think we need to be happen, having way more. Well, sir, one of the first things you can do is make sure that the police are accountable for their actions. Um, this this is the thing. A lot of times you don't see the police when there's shooting going on in certain areas. Uh, you don't necessarily see the police show up very quickly, right? And this is a problem in a lot of the big cities around the country. Um, they just don't come when you call right away, you know? Only Jesus comes when you want him to come when you call him. So so that that really um, is a, a, a problem because sometimes uh, there are people over North Minneapolis, I live in North Minneapolis, that really feel like, oh, don't call the police. They, they'll show up two hours later, you know? Or is it that they are so busy that they can't get to the neighborhood? It doesn't feel like that here. So that is my biggest challenge. So as mayor, have you been going on, you know, going house to house, corner to corner, bus stop to bus stop, talking about this? I have been, yes. And, you know, what we're hearing loud and clear from communities like the North Side is, yes, they do want deep accountability. They absolutely want to make sure that that these officers that have not been protecting and serving as they should with compassion are are disciplined and or fired. And, And simultaneously, we're hearing loud and clear that they need to be able to call 911 and have an officer respond, and they want the presence of community-oriented police officers in their, in their neighborhood. We're hearing that loud and clear. 
And right now in our city, we have fewer officers per capita than just about any major city in the entire country. And there are consequences to that. The north side feels more than anywhere else those consequences. Uh, you know, the, the, the amount of time that it takes to respond to a 911 call, it increases. Um, our ability to conduct investigations in a thorough fashion, it is far more difficult. Uh, there are consequences to that. And that's why, you know, this notion of, of defunding or abolishing the police, especially in a city with as few officers as Minneapolis, I tell you, it just doesn't make sense. And so we got to be real about this. We got to be honest. We got to listen to data and experts. Uh, and, and, you know, we got to be consistent in our positions. So are you looking to add more police officers? Yes, I am. I am. You know, we've we've seen such huge attrition over this last year. We were already very low to begin with. Yes, you know, we, we need uh, more community-oriented police officers, and I've set out a clear plan in order to bring them on. Um, I- we need officers that have deep-seated connections with the community around them uh, so they get to know the people that they're charged with protecting and serving. And, yes, we also need safety beyond policing because – not every 911 call requires response from an officer with a gun. Uh, so it's a both-end approach, and this is something that I've been for, for since day one. Can you tell us what the qualification are, someone, uh, qualifications are to become a police officer? Because there may be people listening right now that are thinking, maybe I should become one. And the biggest challenge has been the qualifications can change from time to time in different cities. Yeah, the qualifications have changed uh, over, over the last several years, and certainly there are areas where we've bumped up incentives to, for instance, live in our city or attend church or mosque or synagogue here or volunteer here. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the qualifications, it, it, it depends on which program you're going through, you know, cadet or recruit. Uh, and so rather than, like, have me give you incorrect information about the specificity, um, mm-hmm. I'd ask you if you're interested, if you have any interest uh, in applying, uh, shoot me an email. And we will get you to the right people, and I'll just give you my email right now. It's Jacob, so J-A-C-O-B dot Fry, F-R-E-Y, at Minneapolis, M-N dot gov. Send us an email. We'll get you to the right people so that we can get you involved in a recruiting class. And by the way, if you want to be the change in our police department, if you want to make a difference, if you want to make your community safer, and you want to help people who are in need, in some of the most difficult times of their life, yeah, this is a great profession that you can enter. Um, and so especially, gosh, if you live in Minneapolis, even even better. Bring it on. What is the first thing you're going to work on if you become mayor again? The first thing has got to be bringing people back together. Uh, this this, this uh, whole You picked a hard one, sir. You picked a hard you know, one. Yeah, it's been brutal. You, I mean, you know it. And, you know, right now you got mayors around the country that are calling today that are re- resigning or retiring or just deciding not to run again. And, you know, some of the most difficult, the most difficult issues get passed down to mayors, those that others don't want to touch. Um, and I'll tell you, it was a much longer conversation with my wife, Sarah, as to whether I was going to run again or we were going to run again or not. Um but, you know, I feel a very deep-seated responsibility to get the city through this right now. Um, I know that you need a clear and honest path. Um, you need someone that's not going to cave, regardless of where you're getting hit and how hard you're getting hit. And believe me, as mayor, you get hit pretty hard from every single side. Um, but the consistency o- over time, and we're seeing that right now in this election, uh, people respect it. And that's why we're in such a strong position going into Election Day. 
All right. So just one more question. You know, I really want to know what it's going to take to restore downtown and what will that look like? Well, there's not one easy solution here, and we've obviously had a global pandemic over this last year. And um, uh, you know, first, I think clearly we need to make sure that people are vaccinated and they are coming back to work. Uh, and so we're not just continuously cycling through COVID-19 and the Delta variant. And, you know, there will be another. It'll just be called something else. We need to get back. Um, we need to bring workers back. We need to bring businesses back. Uh, and we also need to make sure that they have the right supports so that we're not just going back to the old normal. You know, we're blowing by the old normal and we're getting to, to true transformation. And that's making sure that our, our black and brown business owners have the assets that they need, not just to own their own business, but to own their own property. It means we need safety on our streets so that people feel safe coming back. And to a certain extent, that's kind of chicken or the egg. You know, you won't feel safe. There won't be safety until you got eyes on the street and 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 people are back in large numbers and people won't come back in large numbers until you have safety. And so we've got to set that necessary recipe. We've got to set the table um, for uh, extraordinary progress moving forward here. And, and, and we're going to be doing our part. I'm looking forward to seeing what your part is. So I really appreciate you joining us tonight. I had more questions for you, but I know you are a busy man. Uh, November 2nd is around the corner and on Tuesday. And as people are considering you, um, give me one last thought that you would say, that one sentence that you would put out here right now for the listeners so that they can say, yeah, I think I'll vote for him. Well, look, we've been through, uh, we had two years of unprecedented progress. And these last two years, I think everyone knows, it has been unprecedented in terms of the challenge. Uh, and through it all, I've told the truth. I've stayed consistent regardless of who I'm talking to. Everybody gets the same answer. Um, and we charted an honest and progressive path forward for the city. Of course, it's been hard at times. Um, but we've been tested, yet at times bruised. Uh, and you keep moving forward to try and do the right thing. And this city doesn't quit, and, and neither do I. Well, you have a beautiful little girl. And, boy, when you say do the right thing, look in her eyes. You oh, get yeah. it. That's exactly All right, sir. Right. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank Blessings you so to much, you. Carolyn. We'll talk soon. All right. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.